Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor, and I'm the founder of the Multilingual Montessori website and Instagram account. Each week on the podcast, I interview parents who are raising multilingual children, Montessori guides who have taught in bilingual classrooms or who are themselves multilingual, and adults who grew up speaking two or more languages. We discuss the intersection between language and identity, how to find balance when speaking two or more languages in a monolingual environment, and all the joys and challenges that we experience along the way. Today I'm speaking with Janina Burmeister, a mom and Montessorian living in Valencia, Spain. Janina is originally from Germany, but she has lived abroad for the past 20 years. In our conversation, Janina shares her experiences as an expat living in nine countries over the past two decades and how that journey has shaped her cultural and linguistic identity. Janina and her husband have a five-year-old son, Henry, who speaks three languages, German, English, and Spanish. When Henry was a baby, Janina and her husband, who are both educators, realized that his language wasn't developing as quickly as they would have expected. Instead of deciding to speak in only one language to him, as some people recommended, they decided to get him checked out by a doctor. Janina shares that experience and what her son's language progress has been since then. Janina also shares her journey to becoming a Montessorian and what advice she would give to parents wanting to raise their child with two or more languages. Here's my conversation with Janina. Hi, Janina. Welcome to the Multilingual Montessori podcast. Hi, thanks for having me today. All right. To start out, tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, where you live, and what you do. Sure. My name is Janina. I'm originally from Germany, but I've lived abroad for the past 20 years, mostly in the UK, but also in the Middle East and Africa, and I'm in Spain at the moment. Wow. Okay. All over. Um, So we're going to get into all of that, but first, tell me about your language journey. How many languages did you grow up speaking, and how many do you speak now? Um, My native language is German. Um, I have family in the UK, so we visited them quite often, so I was introduced to English from quite a young age. Um, I speak Spanish now that I've I've moved to Spain, Um, but I don't consider it as like the same level that I speak English and German. Um, I have a four and a half year old son, actually he's going to be five in February and he is speaking three languages. Wow. Okay. Um, so tell me about your path as an educator. How did you first find out about the Montessori method and what drew you to Montessori? And I've always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I started working with children from a really young age, first as a babysitter, then as an au pair. And um, I did my teacher training in London and worked mostly in mainstream schools um, in the UK and also in the Middle East. And then moved to Spain and um, was hired by a Montessori school, a British Montessori school to oversee the British curriculum. And then when I was first introduced to Montessori, I was working alongside an AMI Montessori guide 
and yeah it just blew me away um the respect they had for the children the calmness the independence um and just the yeah the academic learning as well so i decided to do my monastery training then and have mostly worked in, in international and british monastery schools since and i've also become a monastery parent yeah so um how did the way that you think about Montessori change once you became a parent? I think I always knew that I wanted my son to be very independent. My, my husband's sister, it calls him independent and she thinks it's because I'm lazy. So I think a lot of times <laughs> people think we just, you know, Montessori guys just sit back and, you know, barely do anything, do any teaching, but we really observe, we really guide, and we only jump in when needed. And I have this trust in my son that I think, yeah, that I think it's because, because I know what Montessori can do, and I, I know what Montessori is about, so I can, you know, I can prepare the environment in a way that he can develop his independence. And yeah, maybe I can then more relax as a parent. So tell me about your son's language journey and the places that you've lived as a family since he was born. Sure. Um, he was born in Spain, so he was introduced to Spanish from birth. Um, we started out using the minority language at home method, where we both spoke German to him at home and then English outside, and then he had Spanish through the environment. Um, we noticed quite a bit of a slower language development that it then we both my husband and i are teachers so we are obviously around children we see also multi and bilingual children how they how rapidly they develop language we understand that every child learns a language at a different um or everything at a different rate um but there was something that just didn't feel right so we had his hearing checked and his hearing was impaired by 60%, so he needed an operation. And at this point, we were like debating whether we should just stick to one language um, to give him a chance to catch up. But we stuck with our original plan. We changed it a little in terms of moving from the minority language at home to one person, one language. And his development, just his language development just caught up so quickly and he's now completely where he should be speaking mm. all three languages. So tell me about how um, the one person, one language strategy works in your house now. And there are moments obviously where it is mixed, especially when we have guests or when we're, you know, in a, in a rush or in, um, but we try to divide it clearly in terms of me speaking German to Henry and my husband speaking English to him. And yeah, but when we have guests around, it's mostly English. Um, in school, he now goes to a German school, so he's got German over there and he's got some Spanish friends. So it is mixed, but he now, he usually picks German for me, English for my husband, and then some Spanish and English with his friends. He can also translate. He's at the point where he can translate. Um, he understands books, um, television shows, anything in both or three languages. And I think it's helped him to divide it a little bit better, especially in mm. the beginning. 
Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, what do you think is the most challenging part about raising your child with multiple languages? I think, like I mentioned in the beginning, like the worry that you're maybe putting on too much, especially if there are other issues like hearing issues, or you notice that, you know, your child's friends or other, you know, other children might be speaking um, more or more fluently or more confidently than your own child. Um, so it's easy to say, let's just stick to one language, I think. Um, it's also hard to stay consistent, especially with the one person, one language, and also show that sort of flexibility that if it doesn't work, should we just, you know, because we need to be consistent, do we stick to that one language or do we divide them um, or try a different method? Or, yeah, so showing the right amount of flexibility and consistency, I think, is, is the hardest part. Mm. When your son, when your son's language wasn't developing as quickly as you expected to it to or hoped that it would, did anyone tell you, don't speak to him in multiple languages, just speak in one language? That happened to us in Germany, yes. We lived in Germany for a short time, um, just before he had his operation. And he went to nursery there, and that was one of the first things we were told to actually, you know, to give him a chance to just catch up on German, to just speak to him in German. And, but we're both educators ourselves, so we do have a bit of a background. But yes, it makes you, it makes you doubt yourself, it makes you, you know, question yourself. But we did decide instead, we decided to get him, you know, checked up properly to see if there's some underlying issues. And mm -hmm. yeah, then we found out about the hearing. Oh, that's, that's so great that you were able to find out early and that they were able to address it. Um, so did you, so after that you switched to one parent, one language and um, how soon after the operation did you see a progress or a change in your son? Really soon, I'd say two or three months after we were in um, Oman by then. So not even two or three months. So just like, yeah, just when he was here, like a month after we noticed he was. And again, I, I don't know if it's the operation or if it's his age that he suddenly caught up and he might, you know, he might have caught up anyway. But yeah, considering he was only hearing 40%, I think it's certainly got to do with both. Yeah, definitely. And what about if someone is worried about their child's language development? What are some signs that one can look for? What are some things that you saw or didn't see that kind of set off a little bell, like, oh, we should get this checked out? I think it started already when he was a baby. So it wasn't just the language. I find that if there was a really loud noise, he wouldn't immediately turn around and, you know, try to figure out where the noise is coming from. So I think that was the first warning sign. But we were always thought, oh, he's too, he's too young. And speech in general, children used to, they tend to really look um, at your mouth to see if they can read the lips. Um, sometimes it sounds like they speak as if they're if, if they hear something underwater. You, do you know what mm, I mean? I do, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, those are, those are good things to look out for. Uh, and how old was he when he had the operation? Two. Two and Two. a half. Two and a half. Got it. So what do you notice about your son's um, 
interaction with children from different cultures or ability to move between cultures. So he's able to talk to children in different languages. And what do you notice about him navigating different cultures? He is, um, that is actually a question that we ask ourselves all the time. And um, because he was born here, but it's not really his cultural identity, neither is Germany, neither is the UK. So he's going to be one of those third culture kids, I think. Um, he is, what I find, is very open-minded already. Um, he's excited about other languages and the food from around the world. He's interested in, in the world around us, in the globe, in the different countries and continents. And he, he accepts children easily, no matter what language they speak, no matter where they come from, no matter what they eat, no matter what they look like. So he has friends from all sorts of countries, um, all sorts of cultures, and also different ages as well so he's quite yeah. he's quite open and he always wants to learn another language too if there's a girl who speaks french he's like how can we say this in french so he understands there are different languages and he's very open to them yeah he's got that curiosity that's amazing so Tell me about life as an expat. So you said you've been an expat for the past 20 years. That's amazing. Um, what first, you know, made you want to live in a different place and, and what have those experiences been like? And we've, we've always um, traveled a lot. Um, so I, I had the chance to visit a lot of countries that have different cultures beforehand. When I was 16, I got a scholarship to go and study in America for a year. Um, so I went to live in Utah, which was very different, um, very different to what I was used to as a teenager in Germany. Um, a lot more like restrainment in things like going out, being able to meet friends, being able to go to parties. It's just a very different culture in, in Europe than it is in the US, I would say, especially in in Utah, but I absolutely loved it. It opened my mind, um, it opened my heart, it made me a lot more um, accepting. And I just, yeah, I enjoyed it so much that I stayed another year um, as an au pair on top of that. Um, and yeah, from there, I just didn't wanna stay in one place anymore. I moved to the UK to finish high school and to start university I did my teacher training there and immediately after I moved to Egypt for two years then went back to the UK for a short time then to Spain for the first time and um, yeah from there again the Middle East but I think it's something you addressed before it's like the cultural the cultural identity like I don't know anymore when someone asked me like where are you from it's, it's hard to answer because yeah you don't identify yourself so much anymore with the country where you were born, but yeah, more with the world. Yeah. Uh, where did you meet your husband? I met him at a party in, in London. He's German too, <laughs> but um, interesting as well, like because we've lived in London, we met in London, we lived in London. We now mostly speak English to each other. Really? So over to English. Oh, interesting. We've also taught in the same schools. They were always British or international. So it's just become like that. 
How did you decide um, that you were going to speak German to your son and that he was going to speak English? We rolled a dice. It was pretty much like that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Did you have a no preference? I really wanted to do it. I think it's really hard if you, especially if you, we both only taught children in English. So it's like what, like all the nursery rhymes, anything I think about, it's all in English. So yes, I can speak in German, obviously, but it's not as, it's almost not as natural, especially when it comes to talking with children. Wow. That's fascinating. I would have thought it would be the opposite. Oh, that's yeah, so interesting. Um, so what would you want people to know about life as an expat? Or what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about becoming an expat? I do it. I think there are more benefits than drawbacks um, for a family too. Um, so many people in the beginning, especially when they saw, you know, how much we traveled with Henry, were really concerned for him about not being grounded, not being, you know, settled, not making friends, but he's become, for his young age, he's so open-minded already and he's so excited about the world and he loves going on the aeroplane and he loves, you know, seeing different countries, animals, food. Um, yes, it's scary at first, but I think you, if you have a home base somewhere and you go and explore little by little, I think that gives you more confidence. So what we do now is we still go and travel, we still go and live abroad, but we usually keep like a home base in Spain because we know we always want to come back. So yeah, even if we haven't bought anything, we will keep paying our rent and then we always come back. Oh, that's nice. Um, what advice do you have for traveling with a young child? <laughs> um, we did it from when he was so young that I think he's just gotten used to it. Now. I think just, yeah, relax. Um, usually everyone is always helpful and understanding. Um, let it happen. If there's going to be a tantrum, just, you know, there's going to be a tantrum. It is what it is. You can't change it. And like I said, people are usually very understanding and very helpful. Um, yeah, bring things to entertain your child, age appropriate, might be stickers, might be stickers that I can peel off and stick back on, or yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I've also used an iPad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, as a, as a person without children, it always seems very intimidating to go on big trips with a young child, but I see people doing it all the time, so... That's when he was younger, hear. especially the easiest thing, we always used a carrier, not even a buggy or pram. He was just always right attached to me and it was just my hands free and everything was easy. Yeah. Um, so what would you tell parents who are interested in raising their child with two or more languages? I think again, don't be afraid, give it a go. Um, if you don't speak another language, you know, you might want to learn a language with your child or you might get a babysitter who speaks another language. We've had peers from all around the world already. Um, so Henry's learned some words in Russian and in Portuguese. So it's not, it's always a benefit, I think. Whatever language you use, any language is a benefit to your child's development.
back to Montessori, did you, when you were either teaching in traditional schools or in Montessori school, did you ever have a child who joined who didn't speak English or maybe had very limited exposure to English before joining the class? And what was that experience like? All the time, all the time, like um, not only abroad, but also in London, obviously. I think I had about 80% um, of children who, who spoke English as an additional language. And yeah, um, different cultures as well. It's again, like I think with my own child as well, I see it as a benefit. I see it as an excitement. I include different languages. I include different festivals. Um, I use a lot of visual support to help a lot of um, sign language as well, Makaton, a lot of like action um, with my words, a lot of modeling um, language. And yeah, even after London, it's been, you know, Egypt, obviously, although with a British school, you know, I, I'd say not even, I'd say, yeah, all, all children were Egyptian. So all children had English as a second or additional language. Same now in Spain, um, you get mostly Spanish or international kids in these schools and not just British kids. And it's, it's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really great for all of the children to meet children who speak other languages as well. Um, so going back to your own language and identity, um, do you find that you express yourself differently in each language that you speak, I guess, primarily German and English, but you also speak a bit of Spanish. Um, do you feel like uh, feel like a different person seems like a bit of an extreme, but that's sort of what I'm getting at. <laughs> yes, yes, I know what you mean. And yes, I do. I can even hear like my tone change, the tone in my voice change and the words I would use might be different. And yes, I, I feel different as well in different languages. Yeah, interesting question. Yeah. Can you, can you elaborate on how you feel different? I mean, it's, it's probably a lot to think about if you haven't parsed it out before, but any, any other thoughts about that? I think what I can compare it to is how you sometimes, especially when you're younger, maybe pretend to be someone else and you might use a Russian accent or you might, you know, try to become someone else. So you almost with a language, make a new persona. So when you learn a new language, you might um elaborate first in the language and become you know different person become more confident or timid my last question for you is what would you want people to know about montessori if people are curious about it or interested in learning more what would you tell someone new to Montessori? I would like people to know that it's, um, that it's not what, what they might think. It is not, I don't know, it's often described as like a hippie and very freestyle and they can do what they want. It's not like that at all. Although we have, you know, all these different choices, they come with, responsibility they come with limitations and 
Monetary guides are trained to really guide, that's where the word guide comes from, to really guide that child um, to reach their unique talents and gifts and, and targets as well, academic targets, personal targets. And I think it's just something that is di difficult to find in other classrooms. It always depends on the teacher itself, but because the environment is so different, it's really hard to find in most schools. Yeah. And yes, the community feeling is really nice. Um, like I said before, many, many times, the respect that is shown towards the children. And I think it's an approach that is suitable for everyone. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, well, thank you so much, Yanina, for being a guest on the podcast. It was great to speak with you. You too. Thank you again to Yanina for joining me for this conversation. You can follow Multilingual Montessori on Instagram at multilingual.montessori and you can find more resources for raising bilingual and multilingual children from a Montessori perspective at multilingualmontessori.org. Please take a moment to subscribe to the Multilingual Montessori podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to leave a five-star rating. If you'd like to join the Patreon community to keep the podcast running, you'll find the link to that in the episode description. Another wonderful way to support the podcast is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. Oh,